eating out of the container, standing up, um, because it's the opposite of being mindful, right? You don't really know how much you're eating because it's coming right out of the container and you're taking away all of the enjoyment really of sitting down and focusing on it. Um, and it's, you know, you're like, how, how much of this can I eat? And then what's the next thing that I'm going to eat? Welcome back to the show. Today's conversation is between myself and my GM at Hardbat, Iris McLaughlin. We talk about the most common nutrition pitfalls that we see in our client base and how to effectively implement simplicity and take advantage of leverage to create a nutrition strategy that meets you where you are and can help you break through those frustrating plateaus. Because as we all know, there is nothing more frustrating than feeling like you're putting in a solid effort but not seeing the results. We packed a ton of information into this hour, and I'm confident that you will walk away with at least one thing that you can apply to your own nutrition. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Good morning. Oh my gosh. Uh, So just out of full disclosure, we fully intended when we first kicked off the podcast on doing more in-house podcasts. And what happened was the guest list just like exploded and we didn't need to. Like I had originally assumed that we were going to do about one out of every four in-house. And then uh, I started picking up momentum and here we are over half a year later. Um, yeah, it's wild. I think in three months or so, the podcast will be one year old. That's crazy. I know. Tell me about it. So yeah, we have some amazing guests uh, definitely in the works for you guys. But we have been talking recently about some struggle points that people experience with their nutrition. And we thought that this would be like a great opportunity for us to talk about those with you and give you some different framings and lenses to see nutrition through. So uh, we're going to title this podcast or kind of encapsulate all of this around, you know, what to do when you feel like the results aren't lining up with the effort or when you feel like you've tried so many things and nothing seems to work for you. All right. So the first thing that we're going to do is we want to talk about some of the pitfalls that we find com- most common amongst individuals. Now, I do want to provide the audience a little bit of context in that the type of people we traditionally see are people that have made significant efforts throughout the course of their life, whether it be coming or happen in seasons or have taken place over a decade and then have a fall off and then pick back up. We generally see people inside of our facility that have put forth effort before. So it's it's kind of a rarer event for us to get somebody that just hasn't done anything for 30 years and now wants to start making an initiative of changing their behaviors and habits around health. It's not to say it doesn't happen, but it's less common. So I think by and large, we're probably going to address the former here rather than the latter. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point that most people who come to us, I mean, we definitely have, you know, some people who are perfect beginners, and it's like their first gym experience. And um, we love them and welcome them too. But I think um, because most of the people have at least some fitness experience that are coming through our doors, it can feel like, you know, if you're working with somebody who has been doing any kind of fitness in any kind of especially online spaces where fitness advice is being given especially with nutrition it can really feel like you're kind of fighting with all of these random ideas that they're finding on social media i think a lot of times um the biggest issues with people who are trying all different kinds of diets and trying all different kinds of fitness trends is focusing way too much on the details 
And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of coaches out there um, trying to tell people that, oh, there's this one specific detail that you're missing. Oh, this one little food is why you haven't been losing weight um, and making them focus on all the wrong things. So I think it can be more difficult for somebody who's tried more things um, to focus on kind of the big picture and the simpler ideas like we're mostly going to be talking about. Yeah, no, that's a great perspective um, because it, it can lead, you know, fr consistent frustration over time can start to lead into or bleed into this lack of self-belief. So in other words, like people start to associate their uh, lack of success with nutrition as I'm not the type of person that can ever f find success with my nutrition and dieting. And, and that's a it's a really sad place mentally for people to get, um, because then you're, you're fighting through some self-belief barriers along the way. Totally agree. So we're going to first go through some of the major pitfalls that we find to be the most common for people. And I'll define this as a list of things that commonly are the culprits of why people aren't seeing the results that they want, despite the fact that they're doing a bunch of other things right. And I wanted to address that because rarely ever do we get people that do everything good or everything bad. It's, it's usually they're doing a lot of great things, but there's a handful of things that are really putting a dent in the speed of their progress or just the totality of their prog progress over time. Um, so the first one that I have on my list is hidden fats. And this one comes at people from a couple different angles. So first, I think it's important to understand why this is a big, uh, a big pitfall. And it's because if you look at like a plate of food, if you have a pile of rice, right, and then you have a steak and then you have broccoli, you can say, okay, cool. Like I checked my, my protein box, right? I checked uh, my, my carbohydrate box, I checked my vegetable box, this looks like a rather healthy meal. But depending on how it was prepped, where it was made and who made it, it can have entirely different caloric uh, profiles. So for instance, the steak could have been cooked in oil and butter and then had oil or butter put on top of it after it being cooked. And this can be literally a 700 calorie difference from if you made it at home. Right. So f fats get hidden in all sorts of food. So every time you go out to eat, you can ask for steamed vegetables and it, you better believe it was cooked in oil. Right. Because the, the restaurant's job is to make the food more tasteful, not more nutritious. And at home, a lot of times people get people forget how much how little oil it takes to make a mass like a massive impact on the caloric profile of a meal. So if you're cooking in oil every single meal, it's even if it's something like olive oil, it's not that it's the oil itself is bad for you. It's just that you got to remember that one gram of fat, right, is nine calories. So it adds up very, very quickly. So uh, in the way that people eat at restaurants, Right. And the way that it's prepped in the way that people are cooking their food in things at home, adding things like salad dressings. And then in, in addition to that, snacking has has a tendency to be packed with a lot of fats as well. I think we think a lot about snacking in, in the, you know, kind of the carbohydrate camp, but forget that if you were to really turn those labels around and look that they're also loaded with fats. That is so true. The last thing that you said, um, there's so many foods like. I can think of so many like pizza, donuts, even any kind of like sandwich, chips, anything that kind of like feels like a carb, like to eat, like it feels like a carb in your mouth almost, I guess. People love to just be like, oh, carbs. Oh, I can't stop eating pizza. I just, I love carbs. I can't stop eating chips. I love carbs. And I mean, one, it's the combination of the carbs and the fat and the salt all together. We know that. But um, carbs get super demonized for foods where most of the calories are literally coming from fat. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a problem. The other thing that I thought of when you were talking about like cooking with oil and stuff, I mean, one, like oil and butter tend to be things that most people don't measure when we're using them casually, you know, you spread it, you pour it in the pan. So that definitely contributes to, um, a lot of the times, like it's more than you think it is. And there's also this weird, like, I'm sure everyone listening can think of a time where you have seen this recently. 
there's this like morality superfood thing going on right now with certain fats. So like coconut oil, avocado oil, like it's so good for you. It's going to change your life. And there's like, oh, avocado oil chips. Like my mom always buys this coconut oil popcorn and it's really, really good. And, you know, maybe there is some truth to like, oh, it's healthier for you in some ways than another oil. That's a whole other thing that we don't have to get into. But like you said, it is still nine calories per gram. And if your goals are maintenance or weight loss related, like that still is something that you need to take into account, unfortunately. Absolutely. Well, especially because it takes so little of it to build up your total calories, you know, so like you, it's almost like you can eat by accident, you know, an extra 15, 20 grams of fat without even thinking about it. Whereas like in, in form of protein, like that would be a much greater effort. Like you would see something tangible in front of you and, and be like, okay, I got to chew through this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the perfect examples to wrap up the, the hidden fats, uh, conversation is if you, if you go to a restaurant, right. And you, you look at like a, a burger, right. And then you look at like a Caesar salad, they're almost equivalent in calories. Right. And it's crazy to think about it that way, but like Caesar salad with all of the fats that come in the dressing and the cheese that's, that's involved is about the same in terms of total calories as the burger. Now we're not going to make the argument of one being better for you than the other. But the point here is that like, I think a lot of people would make the assumption that the Caesar salad actually is going to be more in line with what they're looking for as like an appetizer. Do you know what I mean? Or like they don't see it as the full meal. And it's like, but the funny thing is it was the same calories as if you just had gotten the burger. Right. Um, So it's just, it's easy to bypass. Um, okay. So the second one I have here is snacking and, and especially mindless snacking. So what we're not talking about is like, I just finished a workout and I have to go to this, this thing. So I'm going to have, you know, a protein shake and a banana and, and this, this perfect bar that I brought with me, right. There, there can be intentional snacking and I don't, I don't foresee, you know, any, any issues with that, but it's the mindless stuff, right? It's, I, I always say like the cardinal sin is like the cookie on the counter. It's, it's like just reaching for food rather than than like intentionally eating it um and this is where a lot of people run into problems is it's you know the end of the night and they're just kind of like mindlessly grabbing onto things um and we talk a lot about you know environmental changes and this is a big part of it like not having access to these things so easily so it is more of a mindful activity to have to pull a snack out put it in a bowl take it to the couch and, and eat it with intention um but mindless snacking adds up very quickly for people Yeah. And the last thing you said is really important. And that's something that we recommend often is put it in a bowl, not out of the container and sitting down is such a huge thing too. Um, especially as somebody who used to do a considerable amount of like what I would consider to be binge eating. As soon as you're standing up at the counter and eating, it's over. Like it's, it's not good. Eating out of the container, standing up, um, because it's the opposite of being mindful, right? You don't really know how much you're eating because it's coming right out of the container and you're taking away all of the enjoyment really of sitting down and focusing on it. Um, and it's, you know, you're like, how, how much of this can I eat? And then what's the next thing that I'm going to eat? So really, really helpful and harder than it sounds, honestly, even for, you know, me sometimes is putting it something that you're going to eat in a container, in a bowl, sitting down and having and if you're watching tv or something you know that's fine you don't have to just be like staring at the snack and only focusing on the snack but just doing that part adds a whole lot of mindfulness because even if you do have two or three little bowls of the thing having to go back get more know that you're having another serving of it um can really add up in terms of not consuming as much and being more mindful over time for sure and i think also that one of the reasons why it's so much more that important that you're intentional about snacking even so more so than meals is because snacks generally are going to be smaller and quicker, which means that, so generally speaking, it takes about 20 minutes to start to feel fullness. So when you sit down for a meal, it takes about 20 minutes from the time you start eating until your body starts sending you, sending you signals that you're full, which is one of the reasons why we recommend slowing down when you're eating, which we'll talk about more here in a minute. But with snacking, like 
if you're eating a if you're eating a snack that takes you longer than 20 minutes, it's probably not a snack. You know what I mean? It's probably way more food. So what happens a lot of times is we can do these flyby kind of mindless snacking attacks where we're like, okay, grab this, grab that, and it lasts three and a half minutes, and we're like, it, it doesn't even register to us in terms of like providing any sort of a, a fullness cue. So it's so easy to like pack in calories without even realizing it. And this will come later, but especially because a lot, I mean, a lot of the foods we think about when we think of snacks, the protein tends to be a little bit lower too. So you're adding that in. So even less, you know, satiety from the actual food, plus the way that you're eating it um, in, you know, a snack rather than a meal um, can be a big, definitely gateway to just overeating in general. Absolutely. Uh, okay. This falls hand in hand with this drinking calories. So same problem with the, the fullness cues, you're not going to feel nearly as full with drinking calories as you are going to be from, from having to chew through something and, and eating it. Right. We, we always say the digestion process starts in the mouth. Um, and by the way of chewing. So when you drink your calories, you can consume them super fast. They're already liquefied. So your body doesn't have to do much and as much in terms of processing, uh, as part of digestion. Um, and it's just really easy to get a lot of calories in, in a very short amount of time, which depending on your training window can be advantageous. But for most people, when the goal, right, is to get a, well associated with your fullness and hunger cues, this can be the override that can really throw people off. Yeah, for sure. And just like as a practical application, I feel like for a lot of people, when it comes to like both of the fat, the fats thing and this thing, because they're kind of the same where like the fats don't take up a whole lot of room, you know, on your plate. So it can be hard to acknowledge them. The liquid calories, you're not thinking of it as food. So it can be hard to acknowledge it. I think that the answer isn't necessarily like tracking everything and like knowing exactly how many calories you're getting from the oil, how many calories you're getting from whatever you're drinking. It also doesn't mean you have to cut either of those things out. I think just being more mindful and kind of like the same thing that we just said with the snacking. Like if you're going to drink a soda, you know, you can do that and you can still lose weight. I think it's important to have it, open it, set, maybe have a can instead of a whole bottle. Those bottles can be like 300 calories or more at a time. Um, tell yourself, you know, okay, I'm having this. I know this is contributing to, our, to my daily calories. Um, maybe I'll have a little bit less like carbs with lunch or something. And then the same thing with the fat, like maybe just measuring out that tablespoon of oil um, so that you know it's one serving and not like 600 calories of oil. I think just making those little changes for most people is enough, not without having to, you know, track everything and write everything down and actually know all of the numbers and where they're going. Absolutely. You nailed that. We can move on. So uh, low fiber, low protein. So we know that fiber and protein both play a major role in satiety signals. So that, that's just fancy term for making us feel full. Um, so by that nature, if you consume more fiber and more protein, you will feel full more often of the time. Um, so if there's a lack of priority in these areas or people forget to consume them consistently, you're more likely to have this feeling of, of wanting to, to continuously eat and, and ultimately overeat. Yeah. And this is one that I think is really, really good to start with, with people, because the fact that fiber and protein are so beneficial for satiety, like you said, um, means that we can make it a goal rather than like restricting certain foods, rather than you know, drinking less calories, eating less oil. I really like the goals that focus on adding things. I think it's easier to add more of something than to take things away. And if you really focus on adding more protein, you know, lean meats, all of those foods that are high in protein, adding more vegetables and having some kind of quantifiable goal for, you know, I'm going to eat this much protein a day. I'm going to eat a cup of veggies with every meal. Um, just focusing on adding that stuff can kind of naturally take away some of those less beneficial foods as you feel more satisfied um, without you even really having, having to think about it. And I think it's really empowering for people who have been focusing on eating less, eating less, eating less to focus on adding more of certain things and actually seeing more results that way. Yeah, that, that can be a really good mental shift for people um, because they, they feel like, okay, I've been told to restrict time and time again. And, and now I can finally start to think about 
my nutrition in terms of addition. So yeah, I love that. And a huge um, hurdle. I think it can be really difficult for people to not think that they're going to gain weight from doing that. But once they can, once they get over that hurdle and you realize that it works, it's it's empowering to realize you don't have to, you know, be starving all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, sleep. This is a big one. And, and, and one that I think can be a bit harder to change. Some of these other ones, I, I think, don't require all that much effort. They just take some some tracking and, and uh, focus on consistency. Sleep is one that the goal is to move the needle slowly over time. I mean, obviously, it would be great if we could just say, hey, you need to get seven to nine hours every single night. And people just like snap to action. But the reality is, for some people, depending on their lifestyle factors and what season of life they're in, that may not be a possibility, and that's okay. But the the, the goal here is to start to grow an appreciation for the value of your sleep and its ability to help you on your quest to lose weight, gain lean muscle mass, right? Do all these things that we want from like an aesthetics and health standpoint. Um, I'm not going to get into <laughs> – we could go really deep down this rabbit hole, and I know I have on other podcasts about – why sleep deprivation causes all sorts of problems with snacking and, and overconsumption. But the bottom line is it, it does, right? It, it, it very much so affects our ability to determine when we're full and hungry. It very much so affects our body's ability uh, to uh, get rid of fat and maintain lean muscle mass. Yeah, and um, this is kind of like another thing that I talk about sometimes with people I'm working with on their sleep and it's another whole like psychological rabbit hole we don't have to go on but i think have you heard of revenge procrastination like revenge sleep procrastination a little bit yeah yeah it's like i feel like it's so real for people it's when like you don't like your job maybe like don't like your your life you're just unhappy with things in general and you kind of feel like okay well i know i have to go to bed because i have work tomorrow but i want to stay up and like finally have some time for me Cause I think that's how a lot of people feel is that that time at night is the only time when they can kind of have their me time and no one is bothering them. And that's literally deep down why they're staying up late at night. And I think it's worth kind of considering and thinking like, if you relate to that, what are some small changes that you can make to do some things during the day that feel like you are giving yourself back some time. And obviously if you're a busy adult or a parent, that's much harder, but I think there are still small changes that you can make maybe even to your mindset that can help you not feel like, okay, I really should go to bed at 10, but from 1130 to midnight, that's the only time that I have that I can really just enjoy and relax. Um, I think that everyone could make some sort of small change in their day and in their routine that could make them feel um, like they're living a, a day that is more fulfilling to them and they don't need to achieve that by staying up too late and then being sleep deprived as a result of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also think that, um, there's this belief that like I, I, a lot of people will say to me, you know, you, you will learn to adapt. So like if you get less sleep, your body just adapts. But I liken that adaptation to the same thing as like if you gain 30 pounds, your body will adapt, right? So in other words, like your perception of how you feel changes. This is why there's people that can eat fast food all day, every day and not exercise. And if you were to ask them how they feel, right, generally they'd be like, eh, I'm okay. You know what I mean? Whereas for us, like if I were to start doing that and I had to do do that for two weeks, I would feel like a pile of shit. You know what I mean? Right. So, so like, yes, it's like, sure you adapt, but you're adapting the wrong way. Like, stop, like, don't go there. Yeah. There was the, like one statistic that I remember seeing and it was some percent, I think it was like, it was a very small percent of people that allegedly have whatever genetic combination that allows them to get four to six hours of sleep and be fine. It's less than 1% of the population. Okay. Well, yeah. way more than less than 1% of people that I've met in my life claim to the, Oh, that's me. Oh, I finally, I'm being recognized. That's me. It's right. There's way too many people saying that for them all to be right. Yeah. You're it, well, to feel yeah, I would say it would fall into the same camp of the amount of people that believe their genetics is why they're overweight. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Okay. So there, there's there's obviously a subset of the population where like their genetics are predisposing them to making it harder for right. them to lose weight and easier to gain. But it, it, if you change their environment, like all of those things go out the door. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's yeah, it's what you're saying. Like people are adapting to feeling shitty. And sometimes that's life. Like, I mean, for you, like obviously with a baby, you've been sleeping a lot less and it's a huge adjustment. 
But I think it's like acknowledging that one, it's not how you want to be forever and it won't be. And two, like what changes can you make and what can you do um, to still feel as, as good as you can and not just be like, well, I'm just going to sleep four hours for the rest of my life because I feel fine. Absolutely. Well, and life has, uh, you know, I say all the time, life has seasonality to it. And sometimes life is, or your, your, your fitness and, and health pursuits are your, like, it's about survival, not thriving. And then other times it is about thriving and like being able to know which season you're in is really important because you can set your expectations accordingly. Um, exactly. okay. So next one weekend warriors. Um, so basically people that are really good during the week or maybe up through about Thursday. And then it's like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or some combination of those days, they just kind of let themselves go. Um, and we, one of the things that like we're a huge believer in is allowing yourself to have the freedom to be adventurous and explorative with like food and like, you know, still maintain the lifestyle that you want uh, to a certain degree, because the goal with nutrition isn't to completely upend your life. But what it what we're not believers in is, okay, you can eat perfectly or consistently Monday through Friday, and then just like completely go off the wagon Saturday and Sunday. Um, because oftentimes there's a lot of things tied in there that the person in hindsight would look back and say, I'm not proud or happy with the way that I approach that. So a good, for instance, here is it's like, you're never going to look back on a weekend and be like, I'm so glad that I ate Saturday and Sunday to the point where I wanted to throw up and I drank so much that I was like uncomfortable and had social anxiety. Like that is not a weekend you look back on and you're like that, that, that made my week. Right. Whereas like, if you have like a, a date night with your girlfriends and you're like, I had a couple glasses of wine we and we had some good food, but I still ate to my fullness and hunger cues, despite the fact that, that it wasn't in line with what I would normally eat. It's like, then you can look back and be like, okay, that was worthwhile. I enjoyed my time thoroughly. I took something out of it and now I can get right back on the horse the next, the next weekend. So I think, or the next week. So it's just like having a little bit more intention around this so that we're not just completely going off the rails on the weekends. Right. I'm so glad I had 12 beers instead of two. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also think that feeling a strong need to go completely off the rails on the weekends, especially multiple days in a row. And I'm, I'm more talking about food, like obviously drinking has its own, um, other reasons sometimes but feeling like you need to have like three consecutive cheat days um every week again is probably less indicative of you not having willpower and more indicative of maybe what you're doing on the other four days um is just not sustainable or not working for you in in um one way or another yes yeah for sure um okay fast and distracted eating so this is generally going to fall you know whether you 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 find yourself in like, I'm a Monday through Friday person, go a little bit harder on the weekends. However, this plays out, um, this, this tends to kind of fall on both of those sides. So it's the inability to like sit down and mindfully eat your meals over an extended period of time. So this, we, we see this a lot with people that are very busy, uh, rushing around for work or for kids. Um, or just have this tendency to constantly eat distracted where they're on their phone, watching TV, doing stuff. Um, and this is, this forces people to do things like eat too quickly. Um, so where they're bypassing these fullness and hunger cues and they, they feel the need to like throw more on the plate when, if they had just waited right and eaten undistracted that they would have realized they were full. Um, so we, we see this as, as one that like, for people that are constantly on the go and trying to shove food in their face, it's, it's a really hard, it's, it's really hard for them to stay in touch with their fullness and hunger cues when they're eating this way. Yeah. And this one, I mean, is definitely has multiple factors because for different people, because there are, you know, jobs and ways of life and things where you genuinely do have long hours and you really can't sit down for a meal like you would if you were, you know, home or out to dinner. And I think in those instances, it's about having something that is going to be nutritious that you can eat sort of maybe fast and distracted if you absolutely have to. Um, but you know, it's not going to completely throw you off in terms of what you're eating. Of course, it's better to eat slowly um, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, if you are in that situation at work or in your life where you are driving or you are doing something while you're eating, 
Um, just being able to control still the quality of what you're eating, I think is huge. Um, and then I think there are a lot of people who will be like working while they're eating um, or feeling like they can't take a break to eat, where if you really were honest with yourself, you can take a break. It's more of like a mindset thing of like, oh, I have to keep working while I'm eating. And I think for people where it's possible, if it would be like uncomfortable for you to take a break during the day to sit down and eat lunch for 20, 30 minutes, like try to expose yourself to that discomfort and see like, did everything fall apart at work? Like, did my life go to shambles because I didn't do three other things while I was eating? Um, I think it's something that can be really hard for people to do. But for those who have the possibility of doing that, and it's not like, no, I literally have to be working right now. Um, I can't take the time. If you can take the time, even if it's uncomfortable and you feel like maybe there's other things you should be doing, I think it's worth trying because it can make a big difference. Yeah, and, and look, I don't think over time that you need to be a monk at every single one of your meals, right? And just like sit in solitude and quiet. But I think that what it can do is be a, almost like you can cleanse your palate by going back to all whole foods. I think you can cleanse your fullness and hunger cues and your your um, abilities, ability to stay in touch with them. If, if you really remove all distractions for a little bit, at least with one or two meals a day. And then when you put them back in, like I personally find it way easier to listen to a podcast or watch TV and still eat mindfully than I would if I was like on my phone, right? Yeah. So there's kind of levels to this and you gain, you, you start to earn an ability to still eat mindfully in the presence of some of these other things. But when you really pull them all out and then like slowly put them back in. I agree. Cool. Uh, next one, trying too much at once. Um, so the perfect example of this is like one of the things that we ask new clients when they come in is like, what have you tried? Like what's gone well, what hasn't? And I think one of the things that always baffles me is like, we all have, you know, the prototypical example here is like a mom that's like 35 years old, full-time career, you know, driving the kid everywhere, still trying to maintain a good relationship with her husband or wife. And, we're like, okay, what have you tried before? And she'll rattle off what sounds like a diet that would be prescribed to a bodybuilder in a cutting phase. And I'm like, listen, like I've worked with professionals and it's incredibly hard for them who, who put all of their time and effort into this pursuit to be able to maintain a diet like that. So I think sometimes people that are, this is going to be like the type A, someone who's like very organized, someone that um, feels like they can really take a lot on and is like very dedicated to their pursuits can believe that it's fitting for their lifestyle. Right. So it's like, you can be a very organized person. You can be a very dedicated person and still take on way too much at once and overcomplicate your nutrition. Yeah. And also like taking something like that, that's meant to be a very short term diet. And I think that a lot of times people will look at something like that and think, oh, that looks healthy um, and actually try to implement that into their life long term and then get frustrated when they can't when, you know, a, a very strict diet like that was really never made to be something long term. And for most people working towards things that they can um, maintain long term in terms of their diet is really the only thing they need to be doing. You don't need to be doing any kind of short-term cut or any kind of fast or any kind of cleanse. Um, anything that you can't maintain for like reasonably the rest of your life um, is really not worth it. And I think that being able to do it for a week or two kind of makes people feel like, oh, they got, you know, the quick results probably lost some water weight if they're eating a lot of whole foods, um, especially if you're cutting carbs, uh, feeling like, oh, I'm really doing it. I'm seeing results. Um, but it never lasts and it always ends up in, in more frustration and oftentimes more weight gain back than what you initially lost, um, which just starts again, the cycle of, like you mentioned, the limiting beliefs of I can't do this. I'm never going to be able to do it when it was just way too hard for any reasonable person to do it to begin with, unfortunately. Yeah. And it, this is a hurdle that I feel like we have to overcome with people a lot is there is this mentality to where they're like, okay, well, I just want to sprint for 90 days and then we can settle in. Like, let's just, let's just cut as much as we can and then we'll go into a maintenance. And it's like that mentality, right. By its nature is why you are where you are right now, both in the way of like your displeasure of how you look and feel and with your relationship to food. So we need to break down that barrier so that you can start to implement things that are more sustainable. 
Yeah, and it's really uncomfortable for people because in the beginning it can feel like they're not doing enough. Um, not asking them to overhaul their whole life. It's like, well, what about this um, ice cream that I'm eating? What about the uh, white rice that I'm doing? Well, shouldn't I be changing this? Well, shouldn't I be worrying about, this? worrying about this? And it's like, one, a lot of those things are things that you might never even have to worry about if you take it slow and you do it the right way. Um, you might be surprised in what you can still incorporate and still achieve your goals um and start almost smaller than you think you have to i feel like embrace a lot of people kind of entering into nutrition work with being like it is going to feel too easy in the beginning it's so important to feel like you can do it before adding more stuff and it, it might never get to the point that they're imagining of like having the meal plan and being super disciplined and like how they imagine that a fit person um, would eat because unfortunately there's so many weird mixed messages now of what that looks like um, and a lot of comparison going on but I think starting with what feels like too easy of you know tasks and habits tends to be um, a good ramp up into long-term change for most people yes agreed uh, two more and then we're gonna get right into some solutions here so lack of planning um, one of the things if you were to take you know two people, right? And you take the person that is the, the person that hasn't really ever gained significant amounts of weight. It has always been mindful of their health and fitness. And then you take the person that's kind of gone through this yo-yo experience throughout more or less their entire life. One of the biggest differences I find between the two is that the fitter person generally has an idea of what they're going to eat today, tomorrow, and for the rest of the week. And by that way, they're coming up with a plan of how to have that food in access to them, right? Or have access to that food. So a lot of times we'll meet with people and they'll, they'll talk about their nutrition. And there's this, there's always this idea of like, oh, well, I just didn't have anything. So I ordered this or like, oh, I got home and I was starving. There was nothing in the fridge. So I had that. And I, I always, we try to remind people that like the ultimate goal is to be able to have the majority of your meals made, however that, you know, needs to be accomplished. You know, there's, there's a, a various ways that we can pull that off and then having a plan B in the case that you find yourself with an empty fridge, you know, and not immediately just going to the, the cabinet for the chips. Um, so yeah, lack of planning a lot is a, a huge pitfall for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think unfortunately what people picture the planning looks like is okay. I'm either going to get fast food or I have my meal prep at home, which is like chicken that I cooked from scratch, like vegetables that I cooked from raw and like rice that I cooked myself. Like if you like to do that and you like to prepare your meals from scratch, that's great. But I think there's like this all or nothing mentality that comes in with this where people think of meal prepping and they think of eating healthy and that's what they think they have to do. There are so many other options that save a lot of time. There are like pre-made meals at most grocery stores. Um, get a freaking rotisserie chicken. It'll last you for a couple days. Nothing wrong with that. There's so many frozen options now that are great um, that you can throw in the microwave that are super convenient. And I think that it is really, really valuable to be able to cook your food. And oftentimes that would be the absolute most best nutritious option um, if that was what we were going for. But it's really not an all or nothing. And all of those other options I mentioned are still going to 99.999% of the time be better than whatever you would get at a restaurant or fast food or anything like that. So I think trying to avoid the perfectionism of what you think like meal preparation and planning needs to look like is huge for people actually being able to have realistic success with that kind of thing. Right. It's, it's not binary. There's a spectrum. Cool. Uh, last one, uh, emotional and stress eating. Um, so whether it be going through a stressful time in life and having tendencies to reach for snacks because of it or, and, or being completely out of touch with the fact that you are eating out of stress and negative emotion rather than actually feeling hungry. Yeah. And this is like probably one of the hardest ones, um, for people. But I think one of the biggest things that we recommend is First of all, if you're acknowledging that you're eating for those reasons, I mean, that's the first step, right? And then kind of gathering information and getting curious about what kind of emotions you're feeling when you're eating. Is there a time of day that it's happening? Is there an event or like 
specific thing that happens that you can attribute it to. Um, and then once you can uh, kind of understand that, then you can try to change it and make it better. Um, but this is one where I think a lot of people have a hard time even acknowledging it in the first place, that that is what they're doing. It's more like, oh, I'm just lazy and I just like to sit around and snack. And really it is kind of more of an emotional thing, but um, it's a whole process and a whole journey for someone to even be able to acknowledge that that is the reason for it. So this is a tough one. It is a tough one. And I think, you know, time under tension with a therapist and also journaling can be a really good way um, because if you can get in touch with your emotions and feelings in and around your feeding windows, you can, you can kind of capture in that moment why you actually ate. And then when you revisit it, you know, it kind of illuminates even more. So it, you're right. It is one of the hardest ones to, to get after, but it's also, you know, for, for some people, it can be like one of their largest culprits. Cool. All right. So last, uh, so we went over all those different pitfalls. Of course, there are more, there's some that are subsets of those. The, the bottom line is that those, those are some of the most common ones that we see people have, and, and they generally do come in combination. So it's not like one and then nothing else. It's not all, it's, it's usually a couple here and there. And sometimes they shift depending on what people are going through in their lives at that time. So now we're going to do is we're going to look at two kind of lenses that we view the, the best way to kind of meet people where they are, and in the case that you're listening to this, the best way that you can meet yourself where you currently are, um, and then implement a plan that is right for you right now. So those two lenses are going to be simplicity and leverage, okay? Simplicity is something that you could do even on your worst days, and it's easy and frictionless. So you're, you're trying to find things that, as Iris alluded to earlier, are so simple that it just feels stupid easy in the very beginning, right? And then leverage being disproportionate input to output. So in other words, there are certain things that you can do with your nutrition that will move the needle massively in comparison to other things that will feel like a gigantic effort and not simple that will move the needle very little. So we're going to kind of talk about it through these two lenses. So, um, one of the biggest ones is getting in touch with your fullness and hunger cues. And from a simplistic standpoint, I think that this is great because it's a tool that you can take with you everywhere you go. So whether you're on vacation, whether you are at a work outing, uh, whether um, you know lunch got ordered in at work, whether you're having a family meal, whether you're eating your normal meals that you prepped and planned or, or you know came pre-made and you reheated, you can take your fullness and hunger cues with you everywhere you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a big one. And that's one of the first ones that we focus on with people just because you can take it wherever you go and you, you do take it wherever you go. So it's, um, it's something that you have every single time you eat anything and something that is good to get in tune with. And it's crazy how um, with our schedules and the way that a lot of us go through the day um, that people are completely out of tune with them. And I think um, it can be really eye-opening for people to realize that they're not really thinking about them or considering them at all throughout the day. Um, and even just making this change can give people results without literally changing anything else that they're doing. Yeah, and if you're looking for something tangible to um, be able to associate with fullness and hunger, because like you know, we throw these this terminology around a lot, but what we there, there's two ways I try to give people an example of what fullness and hunger cues should look and feel like. And it's like, you don't want to eat past 80% full. And what it would look like to go past 80% full is to be so full that if you were asked to exercise within 20 minutes after your meal, that like, there's a good chance you would throw up. <laughs> right? So it's like, if you eat to 80% full, and then 20 minutes later, you had to run for whatever reason, it might be uncomfortable, but like, it would be something that you could do. Um, and the more that you focus on this, and the more you think about it, the better you'll get at determining what 80% full feels like. Yeah. Takes cool. a lot of practice, but it's worth it. It's yeah, exactly. Cause it's a, once again, it's a tool that you can take with you everywhere. Um, another one in simplicity is fasting windows. So I will say that for people that have binge and restrict mentalities, fasting windows may not be the best. Um, and for some people, it's the, you know, the, the blood sugar, uh, you know, being too low there, there's a lot of different factors that can lend to fasting, not being the right for some people. What I will say is that by restricting feeding windows, it can be a really simple way 
to cut down on caloric consumption. Um, so again, if we're focusing on simplicity here and someone is overnourishing consistently and we're trying to reduce that by cutting down the amount of time throughout the day that you can eat, it can be a really simple way to chop a few hundred calories out of your diet. Yeah, and I think it's it's worth trying for people who truly have tried other things and haven't felt other things that you know are worth trying and feel like um, they haven't really found something that works for them because a lot of people to a lot of people it does feel really simple and really um, easy for them even to apply. I feel like I've talked to a lot of people who have actually been fasting like successfully for even multiple years and they're like, yeah, it just works for me. It just feels good, um, and that's awesome. I think that fasting is kind of trendy right now. So it is important to be honest with yourself. It doesn't work for everyone, like you said, um, but for a lot of people it does. So um, yeah, something worth worth trying, but also being honest with yourself if it's something that either puts you in a bad headspace or just doesn't feel um, right to you. Yeah, and, and with all you know dietary changes, there's trade-offs that you have to accept. And uh, you know some of the trade-offs that I think can be challenging for people that are doing fasting windows is it, it, it does generally make social life a little bit harder, especially in the evening time, because uh, people have a cutoff point and it's like, okay, well, what do I do if I'm in and around, you know, 8 PM and I'm supposed to be cut off, but I'm supposed to have this dinner with my friends. So it can become a little bit more challenging in, uh, from that sense. But also for some people it can be, it can simplify their decision-making around their eating because they're like, okay, cool. Like I, this is a, when I know I have to eat my breakfast, when I have to eat my lunch, when I have to eat my dinner. Um, and then this is where I squeeze in my workout and it becomes a little bit more of routine esque for people that were lacking that before. Totally. Cool. Um, next one, uh, protein first. This one is, I would argue probably one of the biggest uh, components to both the simplicity side and the leverage side. Yeah. So protein first, one of the greatest analogies I've ever heard of this, and it's so ironic because it's a McDonald's analogy. So when you go to McDonald's and you order something, they always say like, would you like fries with that? Right. And I think the way that you can view this is you can look at all your meals as I have to eat my protein. And then it's, would you like X, Y, and Z with that? So if you see the protein as like the main thing that you have to get in every single time you've checked so many boxes. Like first you're ensuring that you're going to eat to maintain your lean muscle mass Two, you're, you're eating in a way that is going to promote fullness, right? And you're promoting fullness before you introduce other things that may not be exactly what they may not, they may not be like the primary thing of what you're trying to eat. So you can still enjoy some other foods, but you, you checked that big box of protein first. Yeah. Like first in terms of priority and also first literally in terms of like maybe order of eating things if being. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. No, first in terms of like order of eating things, because if you say, okay, I'm first going to eat my protein. So a good example of this is like, if you go out for breakfast and that you have the eggs and let's say like, you know, sausage links, it's like you, you have that first. And then if you have, if there's pancakes present, right, you're less likely to eat more of them because you ate the protein first. Yeah. And I mean, the, the amount of protein that people need obviously varies, um, kind of a, a goal that we tell a lot of people to shoot for, not all at once, depending on what they're currently eating. But, um, you know, that gram per pound of body weight is a, a good target for a lot of people and people who are doing significantly less than that and who are able to build up to eating that much regularly, they see results without changing literally anything else. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And from a leverage standpoint, I mean, we see this all the time. Like we, when you can get someone to start to adhere to pro, a protein intake that is uh, right for their body weight and their activity levels and their goals, it, it is transformative. Like literally within those of you that are, that, that's, want to see that 90 day improvement where you're like, gosh, like in 90 days, I really want to be able to look in the mirror and see a change. If you get your protein intake dialed in, you will see an absolute change in 90 days. It's not going to be, you're not going to go from being 30 pounds overweight to a bodybuilder, but you will definitely see a difference in the mirror. Yep. Um, see here. So water intake falls 
pretty close to protein in terms of its its leveraging point. So if you're if you're lacking in your water intake, it can start to skew or screw up your fullness and hunger cues. So you hear this all the time. You may not be hungry. You may just be thirsty um, because we have to remember that water does come in a lot of foods that we eat. So our body will start to crave those types of foods more often, which you know, may be perfectly healthy and great. It might be fruits, right? Fine. But I think it can be an indicator that we're just like not drinking enough water. Um, a good rule of thumb here is about half an ounce per pound of body weight throughout the day. Generally speaking, it's like a gallon to a gallon and a half for men and somewhere in that like half a gallon to a gallon a day for women. Yeah. And I mean, just like a side note on this, that's, this is one of the reasons why it's so unfortunate that water weight is like a big focus for people. There are things and conditions that can cause you to carry water in ways that are unhealthy, but um, you know, like everything we're talking about, drinking water, eating food that has water in it, that all, you know, contributes to quote unquote water weight. And you're always going to fluctuate that throughout the day. And it's always going to be part of your body and losing water weight is not something that should be considered when you're talking about long-term weight loss. Like anything that you're like, oh, I lost water weight. It's temporary. Um, and it's not, it's not something that's worth focusing on being hydrated and feeling healthy is worth focusing on. Unfortunately, I just see a lot of people trying to lose water weight, even, even through sweating, um, through workouts as like a weight loss tool. Um, and it's really unfortunate because you're truly just dehydrating yourself and it's not contributing towards your weight loss at all. You're just making your workouts really crappy and probably feeling bad for the rest of the day. If you're doing that kind of thing, taking measures to either sweat more, um, or like eat foods with less water or something like that. I personally see that in some people. Yes. Well, and this is the reason why, you know, we, we know that we're winning with a client when they start thinking on longer time horizons, because it usually kind of leaves many of these like short-term tactics in the dust, right? Where this, like the thinking of like, okay, well, if I'm dehydrated, then like I, 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 you know, I look skinnier in the moment and it's like, yeah, you also feel worse, right? Like the flu will dehydrate you. It doesn't mean that it's good for you or you're going to, you're going to like the way that you feel. I was shredded last time I had the flu. <laughs> I was literally stage ready. Yeah, yeah. Stage ready. But I didn't feel good. Uh, so simplicity and leverage prepped meals and grocery delivery. So we're at a point now where if you, if you want to start to prioritize your nutrition, there are a lot of ways that you can ensure that you have food that falls in line with the way that you should and want to be eating that can be easily accessible to you. So for me, I find cooking very cathartic. So I don't mind prepping for myself and my wife. I know a lot of people and work with a lot of clients where that is not the case. And in their situation, they order pre-made meals, right? Or they have a significant other that, that helps prep for them. What they're not doing is going like, okay, well, I don't want to do any of that. So I'm just going to like eat out for every single meal. Um, so there are really convenient ways to ensure that you either have food delivered to you uh, in terms of groceries. Like we're, f I live 40 minutes from a Whole Foods and it cost me 10 bucks to have them deliver it. It would cost me more in gas to go and pick up the food. So it's like from a cost standpoint, it has become very reasonable to be able to order groceries from a lot of different places. Um, and then from a meal prep standpoint, these companies are getting really, really good at being able to cook up nutritious meals that reheat well and are packaged in a way that make them last longer amounts of time. And if you really do the math of what it would cost you in terms of time to grocery shop, to buy the groceries, to take them home, to cut them up, to prep them, to put them in containers, to put them in the refrigerator, you would you would realize very quickly that it actually is can be cost effective depending on your lifestyle to buy pre-made meals. Yeah, that's so true. I always try to have at least like one or two options in my freezer that are things that I can just like microwave if I don't have time to prep something. Um, I try to always have like a really convenient alternative, even if you have every intention of cooking and you like cooking, because um, I definitely do too. Like things come up 
you are going to have a time where things aren't going to go as planned, um, where it's nice to have that option. And that can be like a meal from, you know, a meal prep service that you are able to freeze. It could be um, something that you prepared earlier that you're able to freeze. I don't know. I love having frozen options that I can microwave um, for, again, when you don't have the time you expected to have or just need something quicker for any reason. Um, it's good to have multiple multiple options in varying like time uh, amounts that they take to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a leveraging point that I, I don't think we can highlight enough is having a support system, like having a community to be a part of, whether that be online in a Facebook group, whether that be your immediate friend group, or whether that be inside of a facility, you need to be around people that think and behave and act in the way that you want to work towards. And while you may have slight imposter syndrome in the very beginning, it's normal, right? You have imposter syndrome because you are the imposter, right? Like you, you're getting involved in something that is new for you and that you're learning from scratch. So it's normal to feel a little bit out of place in the beginning. But if you're in the right group, people will bring you under their wing, right? And you will start to see how people behave and act, uh, and you will learn from that. And it is the greatest way to ensure that you're consistent in the things that you say you want to be consistent with is just spending more time around people that you want to be like. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned like the online option too, because obviously there's a lot of benefits to having a, a real group in person um, that you actually spend time with physically, but one benefit of social media is that there are all kinds of groups and things online um, that could give you a lot of the same benefits in terms of being around and talking to um, people with similar goals. So I think anything in the online space or the in-person space is, is beneficial for that. Yep. This last point, I'm, I'm not going to beat to death because we did talk about it uh, prior. It's come up on a lot of other podcasts and I'll, I'll combine them, which is just the leverage of getting your sleep and stress under control. Um, is so massive and they go hand in hand. Generally people that have very high stress levels likely aren't sleeping all that well. People that are not sleeping all that well generally have higher stress levels. Um, you know, we know that cortisol can reap all sorts of, um, uh, havoc on, on people, um, and their ability to eat, digest food properly. Um, and you know, make changes to their body that they, they want. Um, and these two things are just massively negative um, towards that pursuit if they're not in check. So a combination of talking with a therapist, right, giving yourself a break sometimes, uh, you know, focusing on mindfulness, and really just trying to prioritize getting your sleep and making sure that you're doing everything you can to eliminate unnecessary stress in your life. Yeah, and a therapist can definitely help you with the tools to manage the stress, um, which will probably lead to you sleeping better too. Absolutely. Um, so guys, the, the ultimate goal that we want for all of you is to learn and implement the next best thing for you to have some way of measuring and tracking it and to set realist expectations, um, like realistic expectations of the speed of your progress, right? Whenever we see people kind of starting something failing, starting something falling off, it almost always lies around the fact that they tried to do too much too quickly and they set unrealistic expectations for themselves. And, become, and, and because of that, they fail. And then it just starts to chip away at the belief in themselves. So. If you're doing this without the presence of a coach, you need to figure out what is the, the next thing for you. And we just went over a bunch of things for you to try that are simple and, and provide leverage to your, what you're working on. Um, or you need to seek out a coach and find a coach that's going to be able to meet you where you are and give you the next best thing for you. Totally. Cool. Find a coach. That's definitely the first if you can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind guys, like we have coaches. Right. And I, I drive that point home so many times because having someone there for the accountability is really what it's about. Right. The education is all free online. It's, it's having someone there to help you get get you through the hard times and also to tell you what is the next best thing for you that, that really matters. Right on.
Cool. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for hopping on and we'll see you next time. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.